So one controversial spot was my initial military briefing assignment I was supposed to do in the class, WIA, not RTD, which means uh, Wounded in Action, Not Returning to Duty, Casualty Statistics. And uh, you'll find the number quite staggering in terms of what's not being mentioned in the press. Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here's your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show number 36 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today is from Aurora, Colorado. David, welcome to You Are the Guest. Thank you, Bill. Good to be on your program. David, could you tell our listeners about yourself? Sure. I am a 23-year-old currently enrolled in college in an in-state college of uh, Colorado, as you stated. And uh, I am a individual who is transitioning from uh, once full vision now to almost uh, very low vision to blindness. I have a guide dog. I received the guide dog in uh, June of 2005 last year. And currently just uh, getting a political science degree here and seeing what happens from there. My main focus is the, the website and what I do from there. Now tell me about losing your sight. What was the triggering event, or was this something that was just gradual? Now, losing my vision, uh, I began to lose that when I was 17. This was a very sudden event, which uh, I was born with a disease called the retinopathy of prematurity. The link on the medical background is on my website. I'm not going to bother with that. Um, basically, the retinal detachment had occurred in the right eye first, and through a series of uh, operations in order to reattach that retina, it uh, destabilized in the other eye as well. So it's a little back and forth, first with the right, then with the left, and now uh, I'm sitting at a very low level of vision with uh, managed glycoma. So... Uh, what was the rare part of it is retinopathy prematurity is normal in uh, occurrence in very young infants to children where their retinal uh, condition is very low and they're adapted fairly quickly to the low vision condition. Whereas with me, again, 17, it is certainly a life change. What would you guess is your percentage of vision that you still have? Let's see. In the left, I could see maybe three feet in front of me, uh, vague to no detail. In the right, just light and shadows. So there's no peripheral vision in that left eye, and it's pretty well knocked out. Uh, I'm colorblind in that left eye, so uh, little scraps of vision is what I have left. How has losing your sight impacted the way you view the world? It's impacted it, I'd say, more in a positive now that I look back. 
a few years ago I was not a happy individual, as could be guessed, but um, thus the founding of my website and the occasional works that I do there. It describes the process that I went through in my own experiences and uh, provides a resource for others. Um, I would say that it's, it's broadened, definitely broadened my view of the world and how highly visual it's becoming. So in that respect, it's a positive thing, but then again, it's a catch-22. As the world gets more visual, you kind of question how much can I be involved in that. And, of course, there's accessibility and all that good jazz. But uh, for the mainstream consuming um, and day-to-day living, how does that integrate with my life? So um, it's definitely been both a challenge and a mixed blessing. Have there been some other senses that have highlighted themselves? Yeah, that's the stereotype that that has um, arisen. And to some extent it's true. Sometimes my uh, perception of smell would kick in. Other times it's my hearing. Other times I just uh, plainly hit a wall. Uh, literally, you know, um, heightened senses shut down and vision's not there. So some days it's more stumbling along. Others it's ease of, uh, uh, of, of going and adapting. So it's, it's an ever-changing environment to say that the conditions of heightened sensitivity is, is linear and it's always there. That's not true. What things do you miss? The things that I miss, I used to do a lot of graphics designing uh, before I lost my vision. I used to do level design with 3D games and uh, especially with the stuff with HDTV and all the uh, emphasis on vision. Uh, It's kind of uh, left me behind. And in some respect, I do miss that. Um, In other respects, it's it's not so much that important anymore. Um, because after a while you get to uh, just move on. So I do, I've, I've got kind of the best of, uh, best of what, I, what I had, because what, what I did have I could see clearly, and I do remember, I do dream in full color and full vision. So when I wake up, it's almost as if <laughs> the reality is a dream. Do you read Braille? No, I do not. <laughs> and that's quite... That's quite a question because uh, I don't think I ever will. And um, it's going to take some very hard uh, convincing to do so. The audio technology with the programs I use, such as JAWS, Job Application with Speech, which is a computer program that reads what's on the screen to me, in addition to other tools, such as ZoomText, which magnifies the screen, that gives me sufficient access to do my things and uh, get college stuff done with not a problem. So for me, there's no real need for Braille at this point. And for those who are um, in earlier generations or are born with blindness, uh, prefer Braille and find it much quicker than conventional speech technologies. Are consumer products helpful to you, or do you find that they still have a way to go? To be honest, they still have a way to go. 
especially with the mass markets as um, we stated before, computers and uh, things everyday use. You wouldn't think that uh, a lot of applications in terms of uh, daily living would need adjustment to the blind, but as things get more sleek in terms of they want uh, sexy appeal to uh, the mainstream consumers, things get flattened out, such as once was prominent buttons on the uh, um, range of the stove or the washing machine, which I can't read those labels anymore. And so, honestly, I have no clue what settings the machine is on, and uh, the traditional turnstile knobs on the stove is replaced by digital readouts. So, again, it's getting to that uh, what's good for the masses may not be good for the low vision blind communities. So yeah, they do have a, a little way to go. It doesn't take much to integrate speech technology into these items. Um, but again, I'm not going to be one to vent and uh, spew out of um, resentment and things of uh, people aren't doing enough. Obviously, they're not thinking about that super niche market. And uh, I do understand that. Is there such a thing as a blind community or support groups? Boy, that's a good question, and there's about a million of them across the nation. There's support groups for literally every eye disease out there. I just came back from a low vision support group meeting here in my community, and of course I'm the youngest person there, but uh, the issue that was discussed was very general and I was helping an individual who is getting started in his transition, and he's a uh, local jurisdiction judge who's about ready to retire, and through his macular degeneration, it's, it's going to be a long journey for him because he's so dependent on his vision for so long and might be in even a harder circumstance than, than I am to transition to that low vision. So, again, there is definitely a lot of markets out there for the low vision and support groups. The only problem is there's no central uh, database or way to access that. There is NFB, National Federation of the Blind. There is ACB, um, American uh, Broadcasting Company for the Blind. But um, in terms of finding an online resource, I don't know of one that, that exists. And, and that's the problem, is, is bringing all of these factionalizations together. What's the big local news story of the day in Aurora? Well, let's see. There's been a revamp to the Aurora Mall, which has had not such a great past with um, the area in which it's in. So the big renovation, it's called Aurora or Town Center at Aurora. And it looks very similar to a mall in Littleton called Park Meadows, which is quite nice. And I must admit, it's a little skeptical, but they did a real good job rebuilding it. And it um, looks really nice. So, What's your thought on Iran and their quest for nuclear capabilities? That's a good question. Now, I do attend a military sciences course here at my college, so my answer is going to be obviously a little biased. 
if there is a legitimate proposal for third world nations to have uh, nuclear capabilities in order to produce nuclear power. But when the president of this country is declaring all sorts of um, uh, minor uh, threats and obviously wanting to obliterate other countries uh, in doing so, that puts it into another context of it's not used for um, simply peaceful processes and denying the UN and um, IAEA from compliance, that obviously puts it in another arena as well. So now you're dealing with uh, fascism and you're dealing with a whole other Pandora's box. So we shall see. Uh, the United States recently had uh, put forth to the Security Council a 30-day ultimatum, and um, France, actually this is a surprise, France and um, Germany are in agreement with this non-compliance that it must be a issue that has to be diplomatically handled. We can't be shooting nuclear missiles at each other, and it's obviously a very tense situation, perhaps more so than North Korea. You mentioned about your military science classes. What, what types of things do you study, and do you find that really interesting? Yeah, I, I actually find it very intriguing. You know, I'm very surprised they let me in the program, to be honest. And uh, it's a great opportunity. Though one controversial spot was my initial military briefing assignment I was supposed to do in the class. Uh, as it posted on the website, I did do a guide dog one, which is more favorable. And, uh, but the initial one, which was on uh, WIA, not RTD, which means uh, wounded in action, not returning to duty, casualty statistics. And uh, I use hard evidence released by the Department of Defense, just a very quick uh, briefing sheet of statistic uh, figures. And uh, you'll find the number quite staggering in terms of what's not being mentioned in the press. Like what? Well, the, the, the sheer volume and numbers of uh, individuals coming back that are, their lives are forever changed. Uh, WIA, wounded in action, sure you have soldiers that are, that are uh, wounded and, and they get patched up, they go, they go back in service. But RTD means not returning to duty, as I mentioned, and that means you're sufficiently uh, damaged or uh, maimed enough that you, you're coming home and your life's going to be permanently changed because of it. And, um, Off the at, top of your head, what, what sort of figures are there? I mean, what are we talking in numbers? I believe the total amount, this is a rough guesstimation, uh, as of the February 22, 2006 statistics sheet I looked at for my briefing, it estimated about 7,300-plus uh, individuals uh, total for that uh, statistic uh, uh, data. Now, I may be completely off on that number, but uh, I encourage you to look at that statistics sheet, which is also located on my website on the front page. A link is provided there. This is not to propagandize one, one perspective or another. It's sheer interest in uh, my own findings that does relate to those that are low vision and disabled because, hey, those, those service members that are coming home, they're going to have to deal with that, that life change. 
and uh, I believe it would be harder in a, in a uh, military service situation than a civilian one. So that's why I posted it up there and uh, was a part of uh, an interest in my military sciences course, but again, it was struck down by the major because of the political sensitivity to it. And as you do read the sheet, the briefing sheet that I have provided, it's very cut and dry, and it's not pushed to one side or another. And you can, you can uh, figure it out for yourself. So has the information changed your view on how you look at America's participation in the war? I would say not much, but it has broadened my view of uh, the whole picture of what's going on. Uh, you see the sensationalized stuff about the KIAs, the killed in action, and they misuse uh, the term casualty, which I've uh, broken down in the briefing sheet as well. But uh, in all, it's, they almost focus on a very narrow strip of information, which if they were good journalists, they would uncover the stuff and make it into a much bigger issue. But again, because of the sensationalization of, uh, of uh, those that are killed in action, uh, it, it, it narrows the scope of, of what's going on. And I think by providing this information, it helps to broaden that perspective. So why do you think the national media has missed this, where you have found it? I think the reason why they missed it is because it's for the shock value. Um, it's, don't, don't you think the casualties is shocking enough, though? Yeah, I think that would be it. But it's something that they can immediately turn to, and uh, it makes for good, easy headlines. Whereas the, um, the extended casualty rates and the not returning to duties, it, it gets a little messy in terminology and requires a little bit more background and understanding so it's not a quick headline grabber you got to do a little bit more uh, information digging so are you in touch with the media as much as you were with full vision or or have you stepped back from that a little bit i'm going to be honest with you i'm pretty disconnected uh, and um i i would say that's a fair assessment for um a good amount of low vision blind people not to say that blind people are ill-informed but the information access, they do have people that read newspapers and uh, audio services, SAP, uh, secondary audio program on TVs and all that stuff. But again, for those that are in transition that are losing their vision, they're not acute to those kind of things immediately. And so you do get a large disconnect of news and uh, information sources. Uh, I do use my text magnification software a lot as opposed to my screen reading software. So I do utilize that little bit of vision I got left. And, um, yeah, in, in general, there, there is kind of a, a disconnect that is present. So it may seem uh, quite um, contradictory to the statements that were made, but uh, it's the truth. Some people might say that you're not missing all that much. That might be true as well. <laughs> And, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's positive in a way, but it's a negative because I can't pick up a newspaper like the average Joe and uh, scan through the headlines or um, even enjoy uh, a paperback book as I used to. So, in a way, it's, it's a catch-22, as I stated before. 
Here are the final five questions. Tell me about your seeing eye dog. My seeing eye dog, his name is Vince. And uh, as I stated before, I got him in June 2005. He is two years old. He'll be three this year. And, boy, he's my first pet and my first guide dog. And it's been, it's been a new experience every day. <laughs> uh, the, the, the patience uh, I have to uh, learn with him is great. And uh, I would encourage those who are low vision and who are going blind to consider um, getting a guide dog because it significantly improves your mobility and independence. Of course, they're not for everyone, but uh, I, would, I would certainly encourage for those who do have those conditions to see that as an option. What's a funny story you can share with us about Vince? Okay. Well, the first day I got him, and we went outside to go relieve. He, uh, he had that convenient point of going on my shoes. <laughs> so that was his uh, declaration of, uh, you're not going to tame me, pal. So uh, he's, been, he's been very good aside from that. What's the biggest misconception people have about those who have low vision? I think the biggest misconception is the field of vision that is available or how well that can the, the, the one can, can see or not. Uh, there is a big overtone of painting it black or white, whether oh, they're groping in the dark, stumbling around, tripping over stuff, or you just have a smudge of vision gone and uh, you can get around just fine. Now, there was a similar situation where I had... Uh, my retinal detachments, and I was in senior year of high school, I came back with a cane. And before that, I was obviously fine. I could see. So most kids thought it was a joke, and even a librarian thought it was some kind of senior prank where she walked up to me and said, boy, that's a pretty funny uh, senior prank you got there. And I said, you really want to lose your job? And she got all uh, hyped up about it. And I said, no, don't worry about it. It's just, you know, I don't want you making those kind of assertions that it's, it's, it's a joke. And uh, it's not hypersensitivity on my end. It was, it was her not, not truly understanding the situation. So uh, there is a lot of black and white that goes on. There is a lot of stereotyping in general. But um, I believe it falls on the part of those that are low vision and blind to say, hey, you know, there's a... There's a little bit I could see. I could see a little bit. I can't see so well. It's mostly miscommunication on the other end as well. So it's not, it's not one side blaming the other. It's a combination of both. Do blind people joke with other blind people about yeah. being blind? Yeah, of course they do. Just like anybody else with, with the race card or with anything else. They, there's a lot of inside joking and, and um, poking fun. But uh, Like what? Well... I think, I think uh, uh, an incident where, you know, it's just daily occurrences and interacting with them, and you could say, well, I, I obviously didn't see that wall or whatever, or uh, situations that occur with one another, you can easily point back at that and say, yeah, that was, that was pretty stupid. <laughs> and uh, you can laugh at each other. You can make it a, a jovial thing rather than something constantly... 
reinforcing itself. Now, for th there's a big hypersensitivity about uh, those that can see uh, poking fun at those that cannot. I'm not a big person of uh, having that hypersensitivity. I frankly don't care. And uh, I frankly, I, I do make a lot of jokes towards myself to those that can see. And it kind of it, it shocks them in a way because they're used to that stereotype of, of those with low vision having that, that sensitivity with words and actions. But, yeah, of course, we... There, there's a lot of um, joking around and uh, lightheartedness about it in general with, with each other. And the final question, have you ever thought about a career as a baseball umpire? No. <laughs> my hand-eye coordination skills were absolutely horrid even before I lost my vision. David, it's time to play Ask Bill 3. This is where we're going to uh, turn the microphone over to you, and you get to ask me three questions about anything. So fire away. Alrighty. Okay, Bill. Let's see. What would be your general assumption of those that have uh, blindness or low vision problems? What would be the first thing to enter your mind? My overall concept is that they're just regular people. Okay. In general, do you think Iran poses the uh, threat assessment as I described, or do you believe differently? What I think with the Iranians, the Iranians have, are usually the one country that everybody can agree on that is pretty out there. Mm -hmm. and the, but the one thing that we have today that we didn't have three years ago is that we've got countries from Europe saying, you know what, these guys really are crazy and we're scared of them too. Mm -hmm. So if push comes to shove and there is military action, then I think that the countries from Europe need to step up to the Iranian conflict where they were pulling away from the Iraqi conflict. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does, and I do, I do agree with that, because if there is going to be engagement of any sort, if we continue to do our unilateral policy, it's not going to support itself for very long, and we're going to obviously have to disengage from some arenas in order to back that present theater. Uh, we can't sustain this, this policy of, of uh, netting the globe. What's question number three? This would be uh, regarding, and something I, I quite often thought about, um, would you perceive someone with a cane differently than with someone with a guide dog? Because I, I do realize I get different responses when I go out with my cane as opposed to my guide dog. The guide dog seems a little more personable and approachable to people, whereas the cane's a little more cold and they're a little more uncomfortable. Do you just kind of see that in your own perspective as, as something that could be related to what your reaction would be in seeing a, a, a low-vision blind person? The one thing I think that the dog presents is it kind of brings that icebreaker because most people can relate to a dog and see dogs as, as being friendly. Where the cane, you know, they're not quite sure whether they have to get out of the way or there's no reason for them to strike up a conversation. But um, it would be my guess that because of Vince that people want to say, hey, nice dog. Is, do you find that true? I do find that very true. I do find people slightly intimidated that 
they're they're unsure of what to do. As you said, get out of the way, um, sidestep me real quickly. And I think it's almost as if two different personas are being presented. Um, to whereas when I have the dog, Vince is a big black furry animal, <laughs> and and I think as you said, the dog is a lot more approachable and and personable. So I do notice that that uh, dichotomy there. It's very very interesting to me. Just something that kept going through my mind as I I crossed the college campus. David, do you want to tell more about your website and also about your podcast? I'd be glad to. The project name, as I mentioned before, is Gradients of Sight. And what that is targeted to, again, is those who are gradually losing their vision or have already endured that sudden vision loss process and are attempting to recuperate. Now, I don't post uh, anything in terms of a daily weblog or rants or opinions. It's more of... Uh, content which is able to help the individual analyze their situation and to step back a little bit to a, a broader context and say, okay, I'm in this mess, and let's look at it from here. Where do I go from this point onward? Whereas looking back, you're going to drive yourself insane, because I've done that plenty of times in years past myself. So... Uh, the website address is gosite.com. That's shorthand for the um, program name, but it's go, G-O-S-I-G-H-T.com. You can find the podcast there as well. And, um, again, it's, it's just a brief set of materials, which can easily be accessed by screen reader, which is most important, or uh, text magnification software. It's nothing much to look at visually, but again, it's targeted to a very specific audience. David, thank you again for being our guest this week on You Are the Guest. Thank you very much, Bill. I appreciate your time. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show, just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com. Submit your first name, the town where you live, and a short description on why you would make a good guest. There is no charge for being a guest, and you'll have the opportunity to share what you think and how the news and events from today affect your life. The show's producers will contact you by email if you're chosen for a future show. Hi, this is John Bischke from LearnOutloud.com, where people go to enrich their lives and become better at things that are really important to them. One of our titles that I'd like to recommend to you is Bill Grady's audio seminar titled, How You Can Create Advertising That Really Works. It's a very common sense approach to answering all the questions that many small business owners have when it comes to doing advertising effectively and efficiently. And the best part about Bill's audio seminar is that it comes with a money back guarantee. For more information on Bill Grady's How You Can Create Advertising That Really Works, go to learnoutloud.com forward slash Bill Grady. Learnoutloud.com, changing the way the world learns. Don't forget that you can listen to the show every day at Coolcast Radio. And of course, we always appreciate your subscriptions at iTunes and Yahoo Podcast. That concludes this week's edition of You Are the Guest from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening. Life is one big stage And it's all the rage To go on
Music provided from the Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com.